This week on the Green Left News Podcast, another massive week of action in the movement for Palestine. Palestinians sue US President Joe Biden and Israel assassinates journalists reporting on war crimes in Gaza. This podcast was recorded on stolen land and Green Left is committed to supporting struggles for First Nations justice. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Isaac Nellist and I'll be your host uh, today. We've got a whole bunch of news to get through, so we'll kick it off with another massive weekend of action for Palestine, which is adding pressure on the Australian government to join calls for a real ceasefire in Gaza. A four-day pause on Israel's bombardment to facilitate a hostage exchange has been announced, indicating that Israel is feeling the pressure of the global solidarity movement. But it's not a real ceasefire, and activists have said they'll keep protesting until Israel's genocide in Gaza ends for good, as well as ending Israel's occupation of Palestine. The sixth straight week of solidarity rallies show no sign of slowing down as tens of thousands joined rallies in major cities and a flurry of other smaller important actions took place. One of these was the November 18 rally outside Labor MP Peter Khalil's office in North Nam or Melbourne, organised by Marybeth councillors Sue Bolton, Monica Hart and James Conlon. It was the second protest outside Khalil's office and was joined by hundreds of people. There's also been a lot of action at local councils across the country too. We've already reported on previous episodes the pro-Palestine motions that passed at Marybeth Council in Nam and Canterbury-Bankstown Council in Gaddy or Sydney. And there have now been motions passed at Maribyong Council in Nam by Victorian Socialist Councillor George Hohera and Liverpool Council in New South Wales, which was passed by Liberal councillors after strong community pressure. Bayside Council and Inner West Council in Gadi both had pro-Palestine motions put by Greens councillors, but Labor either voted them down or abstained, effectively blocking the motions. The council meetings have been marked by huge attendances at the public gallery, spilling out onto the streets with chants of shame, labor, shame, and free, free Palestine expressing outrage over councillors' refusal to condemn the genocide. There's huge community support for Palestine that continues to grow every week. On November 17, about 200 people rallied outside the ABC's offices in Ultimo over its biased coverage of Israel's invasion. The ABC has been criticised for downplaying the attacks and broadcasting Israeli claims and propaganda without fact-checking. A banner with the ABC logo was hung on a nearby footbridge that read complicit in genocide. And the rally was called after an episode of Q&A on November 13, in which host Patricia Carvelis gave time to Zionist lobbyist Mark Ziebler, former Liberal MP Dave Sharma, and Assistant Foreign Minister Tim Watts, while sidelining the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Human Rights in the Occupied Palestine Territories, Francesca Albanese. Carvelis also accused Australian Palestine Advocacy Network President Nasser Mashni of funding Hamas, which Francesca Albanese later compared to him being in front of an execution squad. ABC staff held a special meeting on November 8 where journalists criticised the ABC management's reliance on Israeli sources 
as well as bans on words like genocide and invasion to describe Israel's actions in Gaza. There was another important action when a ship owned by Israeli shipping company Zim docked at Port Bodney in Gadi on November 21. And within hours, hundreds of Palestine supporters, including unionists, children and elderly people, were blockading the port. Zim ships transport weapons to Israel, including white phosphorus, uh, that are being used in the genocide in Gaza. Hundreds of people staged a sit-in outside the port as police blocked the entrance into the port. After a few hours, the New South Wales police decided to violently break up the peaceful blockade, charging horses into the crowd and pulling people from the street with force. More than 20 people were arrested, and many faced minor injuries as the crowd was pushed around. New South Wales Council for Civil Liberties President Lydia Shelley said the right to protest needs to be protected and criticised the police for their heavy-handed actions. Uh, Activists from Wage Peace occupied the NAM offices of weapons company Tails Australia for its role in abetting Israel's war crimes. And Tails is a French multinational arms dealer that is currently partnering with Israel's companies Elbit Systems and Israeli Aerospace Industries. And protesters occupied the offices and held a banner that said, Stop Arming Israel, Free Palestine. Another protest against weapons companies was held at the University of Melbourne, where students, staff and NTEU members condemned Vice-Chancellor Duncan Maskell for keeping ties with Lockheed Martin, which sells fighter jets, rocket systems and radars to the Israeli Defence Force. The University of Melbourne Palestine Action Group also criticised the Vice-Chancellor's message concerning the Israel-Gaza war for failing to acknowledge Israel's brutality against Gazans. The student group invites people to sign an open letter calling on the university to condemn Israel's attacks and end its partnership with Lockheed Martin. And you can sign the open letter by clicking the link in the Green Left article online. Hundreds of school students across the country left their classrooms and marched for the climate on November 17 as part of the National School Strike for Climate. Students marched to oppose Labor's continued support for coal and gas projects and to hashtag shift the power away from fossil fuels. In Gadi, protesters marched to Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek's office and occupied the street where they heard from speakers who highlighted the disproportionate impact of climate disasters on First Nations communities. School strike organiser Nirvana told Green Left that students want the government to actually listen to us and said they would not settle for lies and empty promises. Now I'm just going to play a clip here from another student who uh, gave an inspiring message to Green Left. I would say that the youth, we're angry, we're furious and we're sick and tired of your complacency and we are rising and nothing is going to stop us and you can't put us down And we're going to do what it takes, even if you continue to ignore and belittle our demands. Following week, school students went on strike again, this time for Palestine, with about a thousand students and supporters rallying in Nam or Melbourne on November 23, defying politicians who attempted to discourage students from attending. Speakers told the crowd to strike for Palestine to defy the principals and politicians 
who try to tell us we don't know what we're talking about. And students in Gaddy uh, went on strike on November 24, uh, which I'm heading to right after recording this, so we'll report more on that on next week's episode. Uh, forest activists have blocked the main access road leading to Forestry Corporation New South Wales headquarters in Pennant Hills in Gaddy on November 21. Greens MP Sue Higginson said the action was taken in response to Forestry Corp's dangerous and damaging logging of our public forest, which are vital refuges for koalas. Forestry Corp was given a stop work order on November 15 after it failed to identify Greater Glider Glen trees and Flat Rock State Forest on the New South Wales south coast. And Dr Lisa Searle, who attached herself to the gate uh, into Forestry Corp HQ, said that the destruction of Australia's remaining native forests has to stop. And we're recording the podcast today just as the people's blockade of the world's largest coal port in Mullabimba on Newcastle is just about to kick off. And the Rising Tide organised blockade is going to be a huge weekend of climate action and activity, with protesters blockading the port with uh, kayaks and other small boats. And we're going to be covering the blockade in a lot of different ways. So check out Greenleft social media uh, at Greenleft Online on most platforms or head to greenleft.org.au. And as you're listening to the podcast, the blockade will have ended by now, but we hope to have seen some of you there and we'll give a full report on what happened on next week's episode. War crimes whistleblower David McBride told cheering supporters outside the ACT Supreme Court on November 13 that today I serve my country. He said his question for Anthony Albanese is, who do you serve? For the first three days, the court had to consider whether military officers had any duty other than following orders, and the government argued that soldiers have an obligation to follow orders without exception, which McBride described on Twitter as appealing Nuremberg. After World War II, the Nuremberg trials found that Nazi officers could not defend their actions by claiming they were just following orders. The Supreme Court on November 15 decided to support the government's argument, which McBride's team has appealed. McBride drew a link between Israel's war crimes in Gaza and the war crimes committed by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan, and he said that people understand that war crimes are wrong. Labor Attorney General Mark Dreyfus could have ended McBride's prosecution at any time, but decided instead to support the crackdown on whistleblowers. And McBride was forced to plead guilty after the court ruled to withhold crucial evidence because it could be a security risk. Has the truth on his side? Has the truth on his side? The government lied. The government lied. About the war crimes they hide. About the war crimes they hide. And uh, Greenleft's uh, Suzanne James has done a great interview uh, with Green Senator David Shoebridge on the McBride trial and on Australia's complicity in Gaza and a few other topics. So you can check that out on the podcast feed or on the Greenleft website. Meanwhile, campaigners for accessible tram stops on Sydney Road in Nam have presented more than 3,000 names on a petition to Victorian Greens MP Tim Reid on November 15. The campaign's calling on Labor's state government to install accessible tram stops 
before the construction of the second section of SkyRail level crossing removals on the upfield line. Only 15% of all tram stops are fully accessible. Brunswick resident Christian Astorian, who initiated the campaign, implored all MPs to take action. Andrew Bretherton, who uses a wheelchair, said disabled people are constantly denied their civil rights, their civil liberties, and their segregation needs to stop today. And the new Reserve Bank of Australia Governor Michelle Bullock announced another interest rate hike on Melbourne Cup Day on November 7. And just like at the Flemington Racecourse, the rate hike leaves more losers than winners. For the majority of working-class families, the decision means higher mortgage payments, rents, and a further erosion of real incomes, and no relief from the rising cost of living. Just two days later, data released by the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development showed that Australian households suffered the largest fall in real living standards of any advanced economy over the past year, following a 4.5% fall in real wages over the previous year. A Melbourne Cup day was to announce, without the details, that it would charge the banks an extra 0.25% interest when it lends to them overnight, and it would pay the banks an extra 0.25% interest on their deposits with the Reserve Bank, which are called exchange settlement balances. So that rate hike means that not only do we pay more to the banks for our mortgages, but the Reserve Bank that we own also forks out an extra billion dollars to them as well, and it goes straight to their bottom line. And as Greenleft has constantly pointed out, capitalism is a racket to systematically make the rich richer at the expense of everyone else, as well as imposing endless wars and destroying the planet. So you can help become part of the solution by becoming a Greenleft supporter at greenleft.org.au forward slash support. Now let's hear what's happening around the world. Film and television actors in the US have won a tentative agreement on a new three-year contract with Hollywood studio bosses ending the historic 118-day actor's strike on November 8. The 60,000 members of the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, won boosted pay rates, increased residuals from streaming, and more contributions to health and pension plans. And the deal also established rules for the use of AI, including requiring informed consent and fair compensation for the creation of digital replicas of actors. However, the agreement does not fully uh, block the use of AI in filmmaking, uh, with filmmaker Justine Bateman saying the agreement does not clearly spell out that only people can be in and create movies, and nor does it rule out projects based on compilations of actors' previous performances. The strike was strongly supported by writers, nurses, and film set worker unions, and was boosted by the support of high-profile actors such as Meryl Streep and Jennifer Lawrence and a whole bunch of others. And the strike was historic, as it was the first time since 1960 that both writers and actors had been on strike. And as we previously reported uh, on previous episodes, writers secured their agreement on September 24. And the actors and writers' victories show that the power of strong union leadership and rank and file, and the solidarity won from the public. Meanwhile, Palestinians are suing the United States President Joe Biden and his secretaries of state and defense to 
to stop them from further supporting Israel's genocide in Gaza. The lawsuit came just after the Israeli military stormed Al-Shifa Hospital, Gaza's largest health facility, and US officials parroted Israel's claims that Hamas was using the hospital as a command center despite a lack of credible evidence. The complaint was filed in federal court on November 16 by the Center for Constitutional Rights, a New York-based civil liberties group, on behalf of Defense for Children International Palestine, Al-Haig, and several Palestinians who are in Gaza or U.S. citizens with family in Gaza. During a press briefing on November 14, attorney Catherine Gallagher said that the lawsuit brings forward two claims, a claim of their failure in the duty to prevent genocide and complicity in genocide. And the lawsuit calls for the U.S. to bar military and diplomatic support to Israel and exert measures to stop Israel bombing the Palestinian people. Meanwhile, Israel is determined to stop the truth about what is happening in Gaza from being unveiled, which is why it is intentionally assassinating journalists in Gaza. Among the about 15,000 Palestinians killed so far, Israel has killed at least 60 media workers since October 7, and many other Palestinian reporters outside of Gaza have also reported facing intimidation and harassment by Israeli forces. Uh... Nasser Abu Bakr, who's the head of the Palestinian Journalists Syndicate, a Ramallah-based trade union representing Palestinian media workers, said, we have never experienced anything like this and we are overwhelmed. He said, we are losing colleagues and friends every day as a result of the ongoing Israeli genocide against the Palestinian people and the policy of targeted killing against journalists. And the IDF is not just targeting Palestinian journalists, but also any journalist who may potentially disseminate information critical of Israel. As we reported last week, a journalist working for the ABC was among those killed, uh, and Israel is attempting to restrict all information coming out of Gaza so they can control the message. They're even denying access to foreign press unless they're embedded within the IDF. Outlets such as NBC and CNN in the US have confirmed that any materials that they Uh, capture have to be submitted to the Israeli military before they can be broadcast. And that's why so many Palestinian civilians have taken to documenting the horrors they're facing on social media sites such as Twitter and TikTok. And Israel's responded to that by shutting down the internet access across Gaza. Because Israel knows that if the reality of the situation comes out, the people of the world will refuse to allow the Zionist project to continue. And Israel has sought to manipulate the reality of what has happened From the start, Israel claimed that Hamas killed 364 people at the supernova rave, which was held close to the Gaza border on October 7. But investigators have recently found that Hamas had no knowledge of the music festival prior to the attack, and that the Israeli helicopter that arrived to the scene fired at and killed civilian festival goers. This investigation is the first direct Israeli official acknowledgement that Israeli forces killed some of their own civilians on and after October 7. And this matches the testimony of Yasmin Parat, an Israeli woman who survived the attack at the rave. She said that many Israeli civilians were killed when Israeli forces opened fire with heavy weapons, including tank shells. She said up to that point, the Palestinian fighters had treated the Israeli civilians humanely. The Israeli Air Force has also admitted that it sent more than two dozen attack helicopters that fired huge amounts of heavy cannon shells and missiles on October 7, even though pilots could not tell Palestinians and Israeli civilians apart. So Israel has previously claimed that these reports of it being responsible for some of the 
Israeli civilian deaths on October 7 were conspiracy theories and fake news campaigns. So the fact that they've come out with this now, uh, combined with the huge number of Israeli claims that have been proven false on social media, including the notorious debunked tale about beheaded Israeli babies and also the claims of wide-scale sexual violence against Israeli women. And this shows that Israeli claims cannot be trusted uh, and must be backed with serious, credible evidence. In Britain, the ruling Conservative Party led by Rishi Sunak and the Labour opposition led by Keir Starmer are united in their support of Israel's decimation of Gaza. However, there is huge public resistance to Israel's war and it is having an effect. There have been huge demonstrations in London calling for a ceasefire and the government is in turmoil after right-wing Home Secretary Suella Braverman was sacked after attacking protesters and calling for protests to be banned. Starmer is under immense pressure from the pro-Palestine movement, including some Labour MPs and councillors who have resigned from the party in protest. And other parties like the Scottish National Party, Sinn Féin and the Greens are in clear opposition to Israel's war. Uh, And this is also supported by one of the largest protests in British history, which took place in London on November 11, when between 800,000 to a million people marched for a ceasefire. Sunak claimed that this protest was an affront to the British public and the values that we stand for, um, saying that it was ridiculous to protest for a ceasefire on Armistice Day, uh, which obviously sounds ridiculous. Students have marched out of classrooms and trade unionists have taken action, including blockading arms factories. Just like in the US and Australia and many other countries around the world, The movement to free Palestine is having a huge impact on domestic politics and it's not going away anytime soon. Over in Canada, there's also been an increase in frequency and intensity of Palestine solidarity actions with various tactics including blockades and pickets at arms companies and sit-ins at politicians' offices as well as big protests. And high school students have also coordinated uh, walkouts including a day of walkouts in Ontario on November 13, calling for a ceasefire and an end to arms shipments. They are also calling for support for Palestinian students who are grieving and traumatized by the assault on Gaza. And the walkouts have been organized by Ceasefire Now, which is a coalition of more than 40 high school student groups in Ontario. Students have previously walked out at dozens of schools on October 26, with students criticizing the Toronto School Board for active silencing and exclusion of Palestinian support. Students and teachers have been targeted by Zionist groups that want to silence them, but it's inspiring to see young people taking action for Palestine across the world. Of course, it's not just the students taking action, but also workers, including in India, where a statement condemning the Gaza genocide was released by 10 of the country's largest trade union confederations, representing about 100 million workers. The statement also condemned Prime Minister Narendra Modi's unethical and duplicitous stand on this issue. The Modi government had arranged for 90,000 Indian construction workers to be sent to Israel to replace Palestinian workers whose work permits were revoked after the October 7 attacks. 
And after revoking their permits, Israel actually abducted and detained about 4,000 workers from Gaza and forced others to walk on foot to Gaza or the West Bank. The statement said that nothing could be more immoral and disastrous for India than the said export of workers to Israel. It said the plan shows the dehumanization and commodification of Indian workers and also indicates India's complicity in Israel's attack. Meanwhile, Japan has begun its third wave of dumping wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant into the Pacific Ocean, which has already led to a rise in radioactive tritium in the water. A number of issues with the water treatment plant have emerged, including rust clogging water pumps, and workers cleaning the pipes have also been exposed to the contaminated water. The Pacific Collective on Nuclear Issues, which is composed of civil society groups, NGOs, and movements in the Pacific, called on political leaders gathered at the 52nd Pacific Islands Forum Summit in the uh, Cook Islands on November 8 to suspend Japan's status as a dialogue partner. It said, the Fukushima dumping is a direct violation of our human rights. Now you can read more about all of these stories we've talked about today, as well as videos, detailed analysis, and book and music reviews at greenleft.org.au. As always, you can head to our activist calendar at greenleft.org.au forward slash events to find out about upcoming protests, rallies, forums, cultural events, and more that are happening in your town or city. And if you are organizing an event that is relevant to the Green Left calendar, it's easy to submit it to be added to the calendar using the add event feature. If you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, you can become a Green Left supporter today from $5 a month and donate to our 2023 fighting fund to help us continue reporting on workers, climate, and social justice movements. Go to greenleft.org.au forward slash support to help us out. Your support is greatly appreciated. Thanks to uh, at Little Archer Beats for the music and editing for the podcast. And remember to follow at Greenleft Online on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and TikTok for the latest news and analysis. Thanks for listening.